0: Let's talk about Digital Identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolayo. Hello and thanks for joining today. We're here today, I guess, talking about decentralized ID. So for that, I would like to welcome SID Design. SID is a Boston-based IT security professional who's passionate about user and machine identities, security, and PKI. Sid has led the distributed identity front in his work at Remy, helping work with the platform, engineering, and partner teams to massively extend the impact of decentralized identity and authentication solutions for the modern enterprise. He consults with Remy's customers around the world on how to transform their identity and authentication ecosystems, thus, helping them increase their business integrity and efficiency while lowering costs. Recognized as a well-rounded advocate for identity, data transformation, and blockchain-enabled solutions, Sid is also a regular speaker, contributing author, and media commentator. Hi, Sid.
1: Hey, Oscar. How's it going?
0: Oh, very good. It's really nice talking with you. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: A pleasure. Let's talk about digital identity. And I would like to start hearing how was your journey to this world of digital identity.
1: I think it began around 2011. I was working on some energy smart grid projects for a large U.S.-based smart metering company. And it was during that time where I was exposed to concepts of identity, especially something that's got to do with Active Directory. I was also exposed to things like PKI and very, very early versions of single sign-on. And this applied not just for users at the company, but also for machines, for these smart meters. So concepts of machine identities were very early on at that time. I was very much exposed to machine identities. So after a couple of years in the energy sector, dealing with those sort of concepts, I joined a global certificate authority, who at that time, I believe, was the second largest CA in the world. And this certificate authority, or CAs as some people call it, uh, would issue millions of identities for things like websites, or users, or just servers and computers, essentially in the form of digital certificates. And this is where I had my first sort of important lesson on learning how to manage identities, or digital identities at scale. And at that time, I got to help organizations of all sizes deploy PKI and IAM-based solutions, so if you just want to fast forward 5 years at that company I found myself then getting more closer to the bleeding edge of identity technology in this case it was blockchain and I've been mm-hmm. dealing with decentralized identities since. So at Remy as you mentioned you know I currently help companies transform their identity and authentication ecosystems through our non-blockchain as well as blockchain based enterprise solutions. That's essentially my journey in uh, digital
0: identity. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. You have done through different type of technologies, all, all of those related to to identity. And now you are into something really hot, blockchain and decentralized ID. So that's the main thing I would like to talk today about decentralized ID. And um, mm-hmm. at this point, I'd like to hear what it is, the conceptually, what, what is that? But even before that, I would like to hear what are the problems out there? What are the challenges that uh, make that some people created this this concept of decentralized ID?
1: Yeah, so I think in order to understand that concept, it's important to sort of understand what exactly is a decentralized ID. Mm -hmm. And in order to keep the definition as non-complex, I guess, and super non-technical as possible, essentially a decentralized ID is a type of digital identity that lives in a distributed database architecture. And a blockchain is essentially a type of a distributed database architecture. So a decentralized ID in this case would allow you not just to interact or transact with a single database of records, but in fact cross-pollinate across multiple such records and and all the while ensuring that there's a trace of those transactions that are available in this blockchain, which is non repudiable and then we'll talk a little bit about you know, what that is in just a second. But you know, think about your online digital login IDs that we use today for most common websites we use. You think, think about you know, Google, Facebook, Twitter. So in essence, a decentralized ID would allow you to perform a very similar login and authentication function as you do today, but offers a far better scalability and security factor by allowing to use that single identity or single secure distributed identity across multiple functions, across multiple web uh, resources. And the reason a lot of people started to look at decentralized IDs as as something very important is think about how many digital IDs that we all have today for each website that we access, right? Mm -hmm. I personally have over, I think, 35 or 40 different user IDs and password that I have to maintain and manage myself. And the digital world is ever so connected. So, so if I'm to create a new user ID and password for yet another digital service that I'm consuming, that's just not scalable. And it opens up you know, a, a lot of issues around identity theft. So we feel that a, a single identity, a single robust distributed identity that you control, that you manage, the attributes of which you control, is the way of the future, especially as uh, more and more things become digital or our interactions become more digital, and I think that's one of the one of the real reasons why decentralized ID was uh, created.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that big problem. That new service that you have to use, uh, you have to create another identity. Most and and very often it's just a user password. That's and more and more and more. So you may already kind of count. No, uh, you said around forty. Actually, I was Mm -hmm. expecting even a bigger number. I think, of course, there might be like 40 who are important, let's say, 40 important identity, and there might be other 100 uh, that are... Yeah, there's probably 20,
1: 30 uh, I've forgotten about, (laughs) you know, because I just don't use those services Mm -hmm. as often as I use the top 40. So yeah, you're right. There's probably more.
0: Yeah, other that are not so important, but uh, your data is there in some of these service providers. uh, yeah, and yes. So the centralized ID breaks the the pattern of having like a main organization who is handling your identity. Such as in the in the long, long, long past, it was only let's say the government uh, having that role or, or your bank. But nowadays there are so many both public and and, and private institutions that uh, that do that, and it's, it's getting a real right. mess. Yes, so I understand the. The need of the decentralized ID of this, this solution and and the use of blockchain is is part of that. Mm-hmm. So blockchain is, uh, you gave us some explanation already, it's a, uh, like a distributed database somehow. Was that the the only way to do this decentralized ID would be with blockchain?
1: yeah so see so the underlying architecture, I guess, so to speak, is definitely possible only with a blockchain. And so mm-hmm. if you look up the textbook definition of blockchain, you know you would find something like that it's an open distributed ledger of a peer-to-peer network that can record transactions between two parties efficiently and you know can verify those transactions and store those records in a permanent way. And you know obviously this definition is uh, a very convoluted and not so easy mm-hmm. to understand. And so the best way to sort of talk about blockchain is to talk about you know, centralized networks like we just we talked about in the earlier question and compare that to a decentralized or a peer-to-peer network. By learning it through this example, people will understand why blockchain is the important bit in decentralized IDs. So if you think about a centralized network, all parties rely on a singular sort of central entity to verify and perform transactions. And you have a central database. For every user's username and a password and other data or attributes that belong to that user. Think about a bank. You know, A bank is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. So is any website. So if you have a website such as Facebook that maintains a central database of all its users, that's also a good example. But this design, if you think about it, has a very massive drawback, right? For starters, if you invest as a consumer, all your trust and reliance into a single party, mm. that's a massive central point of failure. For not just your security, but everybody's security, right? You're dealing with things like consent, data breaches. And we all know, we've all seen our fair share of data breaches in our life where a central database gets hacked. And then again, all the user IDs and passwords are released out into the dark web. But in a decentralized network, if you just want to compare that, every involved party manages their own independent ledger, database in this case, and then tracks all the transactions. And works off of everybody else's ledger and then you know essentially forms a consensus. So in this case, the records really can't be manipulated in a very easy way. And I'm saying that not in an easy way, because if a majority of those involved in the group, in the distributed group, can be corrupted, then in that case, yes. But it's very hard to corrupt an entire group of people in the consensus. So in essence, you know, this blockchain piece replaces your. Trust your traditional trust by authority with trust by computation, and that's the single most important difference between, you know, uh, centralized systems and decentralized systems. So in essence, it removes like threats of manipulation by a single party, mm-hmm. data theft by a single party, and offers the users more control and influence into that digital transaction.
0: Sure. It's relatively new, the concept. I don't know exactly how how many years ago it started, but it's still relatively concept in implementation in, in mainstream solutions. So I would like to know at this point if there are already some standards, open standards in decentralized ID.
1: Yeah, so there's, there's definitely some standards that the industry is working together. You do have some industry heavyweights, I guess I can call them, uh, who are working on creating these open standards. The most well-known among these, there's tons of them, but the most mm-hmm. well-known are is the W3C Foundation, right? so the World Wide mm-hmm. Web Consortium, who is essentially working on building the web standards that we use today since the early 2000s. So that organization has been around for a while. They have a spec called, I believe it's Decentralized Identifiers, or DIDs. I think they have a working group that promotes um, a, a globally unique distributed identifier that's highly available, and cryptographically verifiable in a blockchain that's one to look at they also have the web authn i guess which is used to be a group now i think it's now a standard uh, i believe as far as i remember and essentially it's an api to create and use public key credentials so you know pki concepts in web applications and browser to promote a stronger authentication for users So that WebAuthn is definitely also another powerful standard in this space. And then you also have another organization called Hyperledger, which is uh, run by the Linux Foundation. And they have um, also multiple specs in this space and, and standards around key management and digital identity blockchains. And you may have heard of them, obviously, with their various projects they have ongoing. And then obviously you have the OpenID Foundation with its OpenID Connect that helps sort of build an identity layer you know that builds authentication on top of oauth uh, 2 they obviously are not in the whole decentralized id space but the concepts that the open id foundation have come up with with its open id connect it definitely is helping pave the path for future standards in the decentralized id space so yeah so there's definitely a few of them around and i think there's a list published they can access, you know, if you just do a quick Google search for open standards in DIDs, the IDs, then you, you might be able to find all these lists.
0: Yeah, good. And so there are some standards that are specific for decentralized ID and some others that are are being used as uh, building blocks and in specific solutions for that. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, there are there a are few few of those. So there might be some more consolidation in the, in the future related to these standards.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, I definitely expect that. Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent. So, I would like to hear now some more concrete examples in which what use cases, being more specific, can can benefit with uh, with this centralized ID.
1: Yeah. So, when you're talking about use cases, whether you're talking about decentralized IDs or centralized IDs, the use cases have always been pretty much the same, right? So, you have things like authentication. You have things like enabling secure connection between two parties, whether those two parties are just users or uh, machines, or perhaps a user and a machine combination. You also have applications around the verification of identity attributes, use cases around key management. These applications sort of cross-pollinate, as I said, between the centralized world and the decentralized world. You know, one of the major advantages that the decentralized IDs can offer is it it gives that control of that identity, of that digital identity back to the user. And that's an important concept in decentralized ID. You may have heard this whole concept around self-sovereign identity. Mm -hmm, Uh, And that's definitely going to be the way of the future because as data breaches become more and more common, even large organizations would actually benefit from essentially outsourcing their identity management piece and give that control back to the users, because uh, they don't want to you know, bear the burden of uh, maintaining the security behind these identities. So I think those are some of the use cases that might pop up. And there's obviously some pain points associated with how we approach this. And, and obviously, the industry standards are helping to solve these pain points. But there's right now just way too many standards out there, as, as I talked about, you know, so we just have to figure out which of these standards are ones that are very much universally applied all around the industry and
0: used across the board. Going a bit more into what Remy is doing, I know that you use, for instance, uh, PKI, a public key infrastructure in, in part of your, your solution. So that's something that we recently talked about in one of the previous episodes about. We had a digital from the talking about the world of certification authorities. PKI is yep. one concept that is common between uh, Remy and also them. Um, so why and, and how Remy is using PKI?
1: Yeah, so PKI, or, or you know, as you said, public key infrastructure is, is a very core component behind identities. right? If you think about it, PKI is what enables a digital representation of identities today. And it does that primarily in the form of digital certificates. And right. these certificates are issued by a bunch of organizations called certification authorities. As I said, I used to work for GlobalSign, and I think you mentioned in the last episode, mm-hmm. you spoke to DigiCert. These are certification authorities, and these are organizations who have worked with the web standards to make our websites secure for us for the longest time. So every time you see an HTTPS page or that padlock icon on your browser, you know that there's some kind of PKI at play behind the scenes. So. Remy, then the way we look at PKI is, you know, Remy's ultimate goal is to make the entire model of PKI itself decentralized. Mm. So you see the current PKI model, the way you look at it, is very much centralized in nature with its pyramid-like hierarchy structure. You have that single entity on top, which is the root CA. Then you have multiple intermediate CAs, and then you have some issuing CAs underneath that. And then you have the certificates coming off those issuing CAs. So it's very much like a pyramid structure. And I'm not saying it's anything wrong, but it's that design itself is very old. And so if a single entity in that hierarchy is compromised, the entire network trust is actually broken down in an instant. Right, we've seen a lot of this happen in the past with CAs. Examples include things like you know CAs like Digit or even as recently Symantec. So we believe that if you could use a more decentralized model of PKI, the one that we are building currently, then this trust can essentially be distributed across a network of nodes in your blockchain network. That's what enables that decentralized trust model that we've been talking about, and that allows you to scale you know, across billions of digital identities that we're seeing pop up every day. And the traditional PKI model with the traditional standards were were very good for the old, you know, centralized economy when the world was not as connected. But we believe that as the world sees more connectivity, the decentralized use cases will definitely be more popular. And then decentralized PKI model will also have to evolve accordingly. So that's, that's how we, we use PKI.
0: Those nodes that have uh, some decentralized role as a certification authority, how many would it be? Every user would need that? Or how many? Who would be in practice those?
1: Yeah, so there's multiple design models around this. Some of them are around underlying blockchain provider creating essentially a network of trusted authorities. So in this case, you're not relying on a single trusted authority. You're creating a network of trusted authorities. (laughs) And this network of trusted authorities are the ones that will be part of essentially a node that will be part of that peer-to-peer network. So the number is not as relevant obviously you would want to have definitely more than a few dozen but not anymore that it reduces the speed at which transactions can be performed because full consensus within a given blockchain network can also be reached you know as low as 21 nodes for example so the number is not as important as long as it, it has that distributed nature so
0: who would I be in practice? I, I guess it depends on uh, which network we are talking about.
1: It all depends on the network. It could be in, in certain uh, networks. It could be banks because people inherently trust banks. So banks could be you know set up as one of the nodes in the digital identity world. It really could be uh, CAs could actually be you know one of the nodes. IAM companies who have been dealing with identities at scale for a long time, could be one of the nodes. Uh, so yeah, any, anybody who would like to participate in that network and you know be that node could, could essentially be one, uh, as long as they have a genuine sort of reason behind it and, and a way to help the community.
0: Government institutions or educational institutions as well? Yeah, yeah. So obviously
1: there's certain blockchains where... Uh, certain government institutions would also be part of that node network, but the traditional idea behind government is also very much a centralized design yes. in nature, <laughs> right? So so uh, I, I'm not entirely sure on how that would work out, but in certain countries, uh, I think in Finland or uh, even in places like Estonia, there's a lot of focus on government-issued IDs. So in that case, yes, uh, certainly. But in certain countries like the U.S., where each state has its own regulation around mm. identities and whatnot, I don't think the government would play a huge role, especially because we have different governments for federal
0: and uh, states. Yeah, exactly. Okay, quite, very, very interesting. To understand Remy's solution, could you give us an overview? What is Remy's solution?
1: Yeah, so what we focus on, Remy, is is really multiple things. The first thing, as I said, we're trying to build out is essentially a decentralized PKI system. That's the underlying blockchain layer that would allow us to essentially create transactions and verifications in our blockchain and allow the distribution of distributed decentralized PKI certificates out to entities and these entities could be you know users or could be machines and whatnot but we understand that you know managing all these certificates and whatnot is also a bigger pain point for most companies so at remy we also have a non blockchain product that we call keyhub and mm-hmm. keyhub allows organizations to manage their digital identities essentially certificates all in one place for machines and users and that allows them to sort of keep track of these certificate assets within the company and perform automations uh, on the renewal of those identities and whatnot behind the scenes and we also have another product called auth which allows people to perform decentralized use their decentralized identities to log on to different applications um, using you know, a single sort of touch of a button and without a password.
0: Passwordless authentication service? Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially. Excellent. So you also combine uh, the, some centralized identity with a, with a decentralized identity for some of your customers when they're required. Yes, exactly.
1: So, you know, we have worked on a few pilots and a few projects where we've combined the traditional sort of IAM systems together with our decentralized auth application. And that allowed us to sort of create a use case where we still ended up using some traditional technologies because of compatibility and also tie them into the decentralized world. Uh, that's how we believe that most projects will will be handled, at least in the next few years until blockchains can at that point be independent.
0: Yeah, so so you also have this authentication service and that comes to my mind that I had a, a potential problem for blockchain based identity is the identity recovery. So what happens if I if I lose my my credentials?
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting. So that was actually one of the questions that one of the projects we worked on was with BMW. And one of the questions they had asked was that so was currently the way we envision a recovery process for A blockchain-based identity, to work is through a concept of uh, social recovery. So, you know, let's just assume for a second that a digital representation of your identity, your digital identity is stored on a secure chip on your mobile device, right? Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is one of the use cases that we've had quite a success in. And so during registration process, you as the user of this decentralized identity would assign certain sort of board of trustees, essentially a network of family or friends to enable, mark them as somebody who can enable you to recover your identity in the event of loss. And whenever that event is triggered, because loss of mobile device or or maybe you know theft, then the nominated users or trustees that you as the user assigned would help you essentially recover and replace your identity in the system. That's how we envision this happening. And then obviously, once your identity is restored, you can go back and enable your new identity on the new device and start using it with old applications. So this concept, by the way, has also been described in the uh, uh, DID spec from W3C. Mm -hmm. So uh, for those of you who are interested in learning in a bit more detail as to how this might work, the, the spec has a bit more information about this.
0: Now we like to think also of, of, of the future because uh, decentralized ID still is not mainstream at this point. As you see, in terms of standards, there are few standards or organizations who are trying to lead the standards in 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 parallel, and uh, that will converge at some point. What else would you see in the future? If you can see in the ne- let's say three five years from now, what what would you say about uh, decentralized ID?
1: Yeah, so in the future obviously our digital interactions, I guess if I can call it, will, will evolve quite a bit, right? Because the world is becoming more and more connected. So trust will play a huge role in this. And the use of digital identity in such a distributed world would be very fundamental. So the way, you know, I guess a decentralized ID would work in the future is is by having a digital identity that's owned essentially managed or controlled by the individual themselves and then you, you know allowing that individual to interact with participating third parties, where the user can use that identity while still keeping that control and, of the identity and the data associated with this identity with themselves. We envision a world where people and their devices will sort of just seamlessly interact with other devices and organizations with trust established easily. And where people can actually gain access to services just by showing their their digital IDs, whether those services are financial services or government services or e-commerce or health, any other service. I talked about the BMW uh, use case, so and let me let me talk a little bit about that because that might give an idea on how this might end up working. So BMW wanted to work on a use case where they wanted to enable decentralized ID use case for their car owners. The pilot that we did with them showcased essentially a couple of digital interactions that BMW wanted to prove. And one was essentially assigning a digital ID to each car owner so that in this case, not only the car itself has a digital ID or digital passport, but the car owner also has a digital ID. And the second was enabling the car sharing economy and then allowing digital interactions to happen with this ecosystem. And the way Remy helped out was by essentially provisioning a distributed identity for each user, for each car owner, and then allowing that car owner to create essentially separate digital IDs or distributed IDs for the car sharing concepts. If I wanted to for example, rent out my car to my friend for a weekend, I can create that decentralized ID for him just for the weekend that my friend can come to my house, uh, pick up my car, because that ID would enable him to, I guess, essentially authenticate with the car, and then drive it around for the weekend, come back, park it back at my place and then, you know, go back to his place. So so the, these are concepts that BMW wanted to work on. And, and these are concepts that I'm talking about, you know, the future digital mm-hmm. interactions will be very seamless like this. And obviously, you know, as far as the coexistence of standards and authentication methods that we have enabled in this digital identity ecosystem so far, those will continue to exist, right? So if you... You're, you're probably familiar, Oscar, with standards like OAuth and OpenID Connect mm-hmm. and FIDO. So those will still continue to coexist along with uh, DID or distributed identities, because not all systems and organizations will just seamlessly jump to the newest standards overnight. right? So backwards compatibility is, is very, very important, will continue to, to exist. We'll continue to see these standards secure communication with third parties very well into the future, whether we're communicating to a user or a, a machine. Obviously, the design, the architecture and the way we do that will evolve over time, and so will the standards um, but and, but it's important you know for organizations to keep an eye out for these updated standards so that they can understand how things within their organization might also have to evolve in the future
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I could agree more. The standards are, are so important in order to to have any any of these initiatives, any technology to be successful and widely widely accepted and i also like the the example you gave about car sharing that was very very illustrative i would say you can share your car to your yeah. friends for the weekend and not just as as is today like okay i give you the key and well i trust good luck <laughs> don't break it and <laughs> etc but also with this accountability of creating an identity for him with a specific uh, time frame and, and the authorization well, that's ex- excellent, excellent example, In, and, and I def- definitely like a lot all what you have told us about decentralized ID. Final question for you is if you can give us, to anybody, a tip for protect our digital identity?
1: Oh, when tips. Uh, I can definitely go on and on about this question, right? Because we've all been following the tips from our governments on proper, like, social distancing protocols during this (laughs) COVID-19 crisis. (laughs) We all need to practice very similar protocols when interacting with uh, anything digital these days, right? So, So I think the first thing I recommend to anybody is just start making a list of your interactions with identities. Like, just make a list of all areas in your personal and professional life where digital identity might be at play. Obviously, it goes without saying, when you are making this list, do not write down your passwords uh, on a piece of paper <laughs> to keep track of them. Just make note of these identities and how many uh, websites and how many places where you use these identities. And you can then sort of group and sort this list by keeping the items that are of the most importance on, on top of the list. You know, things like bank IDs, government IDs, important sort of tax IDs and stuff like that, and, and the login credentials associated with those. Give those a, a definitely a higher priority. Right? And, and maybe you can also filter out your login IDs for your news website, for example, right? Where you don't have a lot of data you don't have a lot of, like, credit card or potential information that the bad guys can actually steal. You don't have all of that. Separate those out. And, you know, what we're trying to do here is essentially separate your high-risk identity or interactions with your low-risk interactions. And the third tip I have is, like, you know, just if you are still using passwords, think about switching to a two-factor authentication method, right? Most of these are offered by, by websites today. And, you know, you can also see if you can use some sort of identity and access management system, right? Most organizations, if you're working for one, have some sort of IAM system enabled for uh, users to access their applications with. So, So definitely try to see if you can use some of these. There's also password managers. People use them a lot. I know a lot of people that use them. I'm not a big fan of password managers, to be honest. I don't use one. But if you do use one, just ensure that your master password is, mm. is absolutely strong. It's, it's just, it has to be kept very, very strong. And there's also concepts like, you know, not concepts, but actual tools like FidoBase, YubiKeys, you know, you can use those for two-factor authentication. So so there's a lot of, lot of these available out there in the market. And remember, you know, protecting your identity is, is at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. Uh, sure, you know, you use all these digital services and you expect them to protect your identity for them. But I believe that organizations can only do so much. You take the necessary precaution on your end, you can definitely minimize the damage that data theft can cause for you as a user. And you know, if you don't know how to still go about this, you can always reach out to a professional within, within your network, um, You know, perhaps somebody on LinkedIn who is talking a little bit more about digital identities, perhaps send them a message on how um, you can make these concepts work for you. That's some of the tips I can offer uh, anybody today. So,
0: Quite a lot. Thanks a lot, Beth. Some are very simple, but yeah, reminded that we humans are the, often the weakest point in this, uh, behind this amazing technology that we, we have. Yeah. Well, again, thanks a lot, Sid. It uh, was great talking with you. Could you tell us how we can find you if someone wants to get in touch with you or learn about what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so certainly. Thank you, Oscar. This was a very informative session. And yeah, for those of you who have any questions for me or want to reach out to me, you can either email me at sid at remy.io. So it's S-I-D at remy.io. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Just type in uh, Sid, S-I-D, and my last name, Desai, D-E-S-A-I. And I should pop up on the list under remy. So yeah, those are the two ways you you can reach out to me.
0: Okay, fantastic. It was great talking with you, Sid, and all the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by Ubisecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at Ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time.